All right, turning your Bibles to 1 John 1. We're going to look at 1 John 1, 1 through 4. can be found on page 1021 in the Pew Bible in front of you. 1 John 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 on page 1021 in the Pew Bible in front of you. We start a new series in 1 John today, and we'll be looking at this for the next oh, three months or so. So, 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things, so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we open your word, we do ask that you would open our hearts and minds to receive it. We ask that you would give us a greater love for Jesus and that you would assure our hearts and give us boldness and confidence to live for Christ because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were to address a group of Christians who may be living in doubt, who may be living in fear, who may be discouraged, or who need assurance in the Christian life, what would you say? If you were to address a group of young Christians and older Christians to encourage them to remain in Christ, what would you say? If you were to address your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in order to protect them from false teachers and shepherd them in the Christian life, what would you say? The situation and circumstances surrounding this letter that John is writing addresses these very issues. Facing doubts, facing difficulty from those who left, John writes this letter to give assurance to the church. He wants to encourage them to remain in Christ, and he wants to, to warn them about false, false teachers. And we'll, we'll unpack this over the next three months or so as we study this book, and as we listen closely to John's side of the conversation, we'll begin to understand what's going on in the original context in this, with his audience. So, where does John begin? John begins with the word of life and his authority to proclaim it. We see in verses 1 and 2, John's authority to proclaim the word of life. Look with me again at verses 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, and have touched with our hands, 
concerning the word of life. The life that was made manifest was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. John begins his letter to the church by highlighting the word of life, which is a reference to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word or the message about life, about Christ. Similar to what we see elsewhere in in Scripture, right? In Acts 5, when the apostles were in prison, the angel of the Lord appears to them and tells them this. He tells them that they are to proclaim all the words of this life. In Philippians 2, Paul calls the believers to hold fast to the word of life. It's a reference to the gospel. And then in Colossians 1.5, Paul calls the word of truth the gospel. So the word of life is another way of describing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So before discussing the problems they're facing, before warning them about false teachers, before giving any commands on how they're to live, in order to reassure them, in order to give them assurance in the Christian life, in order to encourage them to hold fast to Christ when false teachers are seeking to pull them away, it begins with the gospel and his authority to proclaim it. I don't know if you caught this. In fact, what we see here is before even, he even says that he's proclaiming something or he wants to tell them something, he gives them the content of his proclamation. Did you, did you catch that? Let me, let me give you an example. If you were to ask my son, Ben, what he liked about vacation, here's what he'd say. He'd say something like this. The big green water slide, which was inside, it was, which was fast, which was dark, which, was, which we rode on with Aunt Sarah. That's how, that's how he would speak. He's emphasizing the slide more than what he actually did. And that's what John is doing here. The gospel of Christ, the the word of life, the content of John's proclamation is not something that we move beyond after we become Christians. When when we were at the water park, so we enjoyed our time away, went to this a couple of water parks, went to one of them, and they have this wave pool, okay? So they have a wave pool there, and they don't do tubes anymore, so it makes it even more and more difficult, but they have a wave pool, and, and you walk in, right? You just zero inches, you, know, you slowly walk in, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. You walk into the wave pool, and it's shallow enough for our children to play in it, right? Ben could play in it. Ella could play in it. Shallow enough for our children to play in it, to enjoy it, to participate in it. But deep enough that none of us could fully grasp it 
We could not go to the outside. In fact, when, as I watched it, it was, it was fascinating. Because you stand on one edge, and what you'd see is they wouldn't go, people wouldn't go any farther. They couldn't go out deep into the water. It's too significant, too great for them to handle. That's a lot like the gospel of Christ. Simple enough, simple enough for our children to receive it, to immerse themselves in it, right? Simple enough for children. Christ died for our sins. That's the gospel. Simple enough. My children can get it. Your children can get it. But so deep that we never move beyond it. The false teachers were seeking to move the people, the Christians, beyond the gospel to some other teaching. We never move beyond it. We immerse ourselves in it. And that's what John proclaims. And that's what we proclaim as a church. That which was from the beginning, the eternal life, the one who was with the Father from all eternity, the Son of God, the Word of God. Very similar to John's gospel account, right? John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing made, was anything made that had been made. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus would say of himself in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The one who was with the Father from all eternity put on flesh and dwelt among us. The life through whom the universe had been created became flesh and made himself known to the apostles and John being one of them. This truth was being denied by the false teachers who rejected that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh. And so now John highlights this good news and he also declares his authority to proclaim it. Look again at verses 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Over against the claims of the false teachers, John and the other apostles had authority to proclaim the word of life because they were eyewitnesses to the historic reality. Jesus made himself known to a specific people who then proclaimed the good news concerning him. 
John and the other apostles became witnesses who testify about Christ who appeared to them. If you, if you sat in this courtroom, if you sat in this courtroom and a group of witnesses were called to the stand, here's, here's what they're saying. Concerning the word of life, concerning the gospel of Christ, the life appeared to us. We've heard it. We've seen it with our eyes. We looked upon it. We beheld it. We, we, we touched him. We were personal acquaintances with him. We had a personal relationship with him. We've heard, we've seen, we've touched the life that appeared to us. And that's what we proclaim to you. This message, this good news of Jesus. We believe that. They were eyewitnesses. John has authority to speak on such matters because he was an eyewitness to the life, to Jesus Christ. I imagine, I imagine as I think of 9-11, right, which happened 15 years ago today, on this day, 9-11, 15 years ago, the people who have the most authority to speak on matters that occurred on 9-11 would be those who were eyewitnesses to the devastation and horrific acts that took place on that day, right? Those who heard it, those who saw it and experienced it firsthand could tell you much more about it than I could. In fact, they could probably even testify to the event today, 15 years later from when it occurred. And I think if we heard their testimony, it would still impact us, right? That's what's going on here in this text. John, who wrote these words, still speaks to us today as one who is an eyewitness to the historic events of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, Christianity is, is not based on some person having some vision or experience and then we try to replicate that. Christianity is based on historic fact. If a person can disprove that Jesus didn't really live, he didn't really die, he didn't really rise again, then our faith in him is in vain. But in fact, Jesus really lived, he really died. And he really rose again on the third day. Our faith is not in vain. John was an eyewitness, along with the other apostles, right? John was an eyewitness to the life and ministry of Jesus. And we must hear his word to us today and believe this good news about Jesus. 
and we must proclaim it, right? Jesus did not appear to John and the other apostles in order for them to be silent, but in order that they might proclaim and testify to it, to that which they had seen and heard. So John here, he defends his authority to speak about Christ when these false teachers are pulling them away or seeking to pull them away from the gospel, which he had taught them. The same is true for us, isn't it? We live in a world that's filled with different religions, different philosophies. They're all competing against each other, trying to pull us away from centering our lives around Jesus and the gospel of Christ. Whether it's being told that you can have your best life now if you just follow these five steps. Or whether you're being told that you can have this spiritual experience if you just follow these four principles. The culture also says to us, it doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you have faith. Just have faith. Faith in something, it doesn't matter. All faith lead to the top of the mountain, that's what we hear. Or we might hear, it doesn't matter how you live. You can live however you want. It doesn't matter. Do you hear that? I hear that. That's what we're, we are being bombarded with in our day. And then we end up questioning what we really believe. What do I really believe? Or how should it impact my life from Monday through Saturday? I go to church on Sunday. What impact does that make? Does it even matter? Because our culture and world is telling us it doesn't matter. You go to church Sunday, it doesn't matter how you live the rest of the week. And that's what the early church was experiencing as well. And we'll see this as we continue through this series. So like John, we must proclaim the word of life. And we must never move beyond the word of life. We must hold fast to what the scriptures say, which testify to the truthfulness and significance of the gospel. Second, my second point is this, which we see in verse 3. We see John's purpose in proclaiming the word of life. It's fellowship. Look with me at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John's purpose in proclaiming the life, in proclaiming Christ, is so that they might have fellowship with one another which includes fellowship with God. The proclamation of the gospel is intended to bring fellowship between one another. So what is, what is fellowship? What's fellowship? We hear that, we hear that often. We, th- we throw that word out often sometimes. Sometimes we think of fellowship in reference to eating, right? Let's have food and fellowship. We talk to each other over coffee and donuts. I think we should consider coffee and donuts here at church. Well, if you're me, maybe add some fruit in there. Add some fruit for, for me. Maybe not the donuts. Right? So we, we, and we, 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 I would be interested in seeing that in our fellowship hall, right? 
We, we even use the word fellowship hall, fellowship as a location for where we have our meals, right? Where we have our potluck dinners. And certainly, fellowship can happen in these places over meals, right? But fellowship is more than this. Fellowship is a common partnership and shared commitment with a common goal. It involves close relationships built around common interests and purposes. So in Philippians 1, Paul prays, Paul says that he prays for joy for the church in Philippi because of their partnership, their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The church of Philippi shared a common interest with Paul in seeing the gospel of Christ advance to the glory of God. So for, for John to invite his audience to fellowship with him and the, the apostles and with God, it means that he desires that they parti participate with him in proclaiming Christ and walking in obedience to the commands of Christ as they love one another. Fellowship is an active participation and partnership that unites around a common goal. When we think of fellowship, we could think in terms of political parties participating together, right? They participate together and they stand united around a common goal or purpose. We could think of groups of people partnering together to put an end to social injustices in our country. Fellowship, they fellowship together, they partner together to put an end to that. We could think of sports teams sharing a common commitment to win games or win championships. They're partnering together. But the fellowship, the partnership, the, the close relationship that John is describing here is so much more than that. It extends beyond fellowship with one another to a fellowship and partnership with God himself and with his son, Jesus Christ. It extends to all eternity. As believers in Christ, we share in a partnership and relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. The one who was from the beginning, right? He's from the beginning. He came to this earth. He put on human flesh made himself known, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross for our sins, and now, by placing your faith in Christ, we have fellowship with God for all eternity. Not just this little bit of time here on earth, which we fellowship over in our various social groups, for all eternity. Think about that for a moment. We have fellowship with God because of the word of life. That's love. We stand amazed. We should stand amazed at what Jesus has done for us. 
If you're trusting in Christ, we have fellowship with God and with other believers. And we join in a common commitment to see the earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As we proclaim the gospel, as we sing the gospel, as we testify to the gospel of God's grace. And we do so here at Pleasant Ridge as we strive to know Christ and to make him known. So it, it, it's our desire here at Pleasant Ridge for all who come, right, you're a visitor here, it's our desire for all who come and attend here to partner with us, to, to fellowship with us in advancing the gospel. It's our desire to have you join us in our common commitment to know Christ and make him known. So would you, would you consider that? Would you consider partnering with us and participating in our shared mission. We have the mission statement right here. Our shared mission here at Pleasant Ridge. Again, we, we, we learn here, in this text, we learn here, and you, you hear me say this often, the Christian life is not intended to be lived alone. You hear me say that all the time. It is not a solo, individualistic life that we live. It's not me and Jesus. In fact, this is what the opponents and false teachers were communicating. They could, that they could have fellowship with God without having fellowship with the other believers. But John is teaching us that fellowship with God is fellowship with us, is fellowship with other believers. The Christian life involves fellowship with God and with one another. So consider the fellowship opportunities we have here. I'm getting real practical for us. And this is my plug for the various ministries that we have here at Pleasant Ridge. Consider refresh for the women on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock. Consider Kingdom Kids for the children on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock. Consider Youth Group, Junior High and Senior High. Consider small groups that meet at various times. And mine's going to meet again after taking the summer off. Consider the various small groups. Consider the men's breakfast on the first and third Saturdays of the month. Men, consider that. Consider joining a Bible study. Consider Sunday school, right? Consider various work projects that we have. Consider membership here at Pleasant Ridge. Let's look for ways where in spite of our differences in personality, in appearance, in status, whatever it might be, in spite of our differences, let's look for ways to fellowship with one another as we enjoy fellowship with God. 
And third and finally, John's purpose. We see John's purpose in writing about the word of life. It's joy. It's joy. He writes about the word of life for the purpose of joy. Look with me at verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. One of John's purposes in writing this letter is so that he and the other believers might be filled with joy. Throughout this letter, John will declare other purposes for writing. We're going to see, and I write these things, and I write these things, and I write these things. We're going to see that over and over. In 1 John 2, 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you, here's why, so that you may not sin. And at the end of the letter, in 1 John 5, 13, John says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That, that verse summarizes the purpose for the entire letter. That you may know that you have eternal life. But here we notice that John writes for the purpose of completing their joy so that his, so that his readers might not sin and they might be assured. He wants his joy to be complete. So he proclaims the word of life which brings them joy as they are assured of eternal life. And as they continue in fellowship with God and with one another, his joy will be complete. We can probably all relate to this in some way, right? It's difficult to us, for us to be filled with joy when we're facing doubts, when we're facing difficulty. It's difficult for joy to be complete when those under our care are in danger or discouraged. John will declare in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And that's why John writes, he wants to see his children in the faith walking in the truth. He wants to see his children remain in Christ and reject false teachers. He wants to see his children trusting in Christ, living in obedience to Christ's commands as they love one another. Do you want that for yourself? Do you want that for others? Do you want to see others walking in the truth? When this happens, you'll be filled with joy. That's my hope for us as well. As a parent, there will be no greater joy. If you're a parent, you probably experience this, right? There will be no greater joy than to see my children trusting in Christ and living for Him. No greater joy. As a pastor, there is no greater joy than seeing you walk in the truth. There is no greater joy as your pastor, as one of your pastors, to see you proclaim the gospel of Christ.
which offers us eternal life and invites us into fellowship with God and with one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, might it be true of all of us that there is no greater joy than to see one another walking in the truth of the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, testifying to the gospel of your grace, to see one another fellowshipping with one another as we fellowship with God. Nothing else could fill us with more joy here on this earth than to be united together, to partner together in proclaiming Christ and advancing your name to your glory and praise. We give you thanks this morning because Jesus has come to this earth He made himself known, and now we have fellowship with you and with one another by faith in him. I pray that you would help us live this out Monday through Saturday this week. We would sing of the gospel, we would tell of the gospel, we would declare the gospel, and we would seek ways to partner together in advancing the gospel as we fellowship with each other. Would you work in our hearts? In Jesus' name.